Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are quickly approaching the beginning of Lent. Lent will be again on February the 22nd. We will have Ash Wednesday service at 6.30 that night. And uh, we'll do something that I have never done before. We'll, uh, we'll impose ashes if you so choose. Um, so I do hope that you will come out for that. As I reflect on what to give up for Lent, though, uh, as I watched last night, I realized that uh, I might give up watching Carolina in the NCAA tournament. It could be a uh, self-imposed Lenten fast, uh, unfortunately. So... Matthew chapter number 6. Would you pray with me? Oh God, give us wisdom to hear a very, very, very well-known passage with fresh ears to hear today. With open hearts that we may see what you have us to see, that we may embrace, Lord, what you are calling us to embrace, that we may be better enabled to serve you in this world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Attachment is at the center of human existence. It is one of our foremost needs from the very moment of our conception. We are first attached to our biological mothers for she is the source of everything at that stage that enables our growth and vitality with the womb forming a safe and secure space for all of this to happen. Scholars hold that our birth then becomes our first loss as we leave the security of the womb and the umbilical cord is severed. It is why doctors push skin-to-skin contact with newborns in their first moments of life so as to communicate to the newborn the same security they felt in the womb and enable them to begin the process of forming new bonds of attachment. I suppose that explains the bond between Scarlett and myself as I was the first to hold her and have such contact with her due to her mother still being in surgery. 
A child will spend the first months of development forming these attachment relationships with their parents and other parental figures, and likewise will spend the remainder of their lives navigating the loss of these initial and future attachment relationships and finding new ones. These attachment relationships throughout our life provide us with secure bases where our deepest needs are met. So much then is tied to these relationships that scholars assert that they must be available and accessible for us to consider them on such an intimate level in addition to being responsive to our needs. John Bowlby writes on this subject defining responsiveness as, quote, a willingness to act as comforter and protector. It only stands to reason then that when such an intimate relationship, whether that is with a person or an institution, is lost, fear and anxiety raise their heads as we wonder where our inherent needs such as these will be met. It is why I do not find it odd that Jesus includes the model prayer here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount as he addresses the losses and accompanying griefs that those listening to him are experiencing that we looked at last week, rather than as a response to his disciples' request for Jesus to teach them to pray as John had taught his disciples to pray when Luke recounts this prayer in Luke chapter 11. Jesus seeks to bridge the losses he touched on throughout the Sermon on the Mount, whether they be losses of relationship, position, role, or due to injustice in Matthew 5, and later in chapter 6, the anxiety that such losses unleashes by reminding those on the Mount of who their secure base is, one that never, ever passes away. It is the one Jesus tells us in verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 6 is always available. We do not have to travel some distance to reach out to God, for He is as close as walking from one room to another and closing the door. Beloved, do we recognize just how available God is to us at every moment of every day? You and I do not have to set up an appointment to meet with God. We don't have to set the mood to meet with God. We don't have to go through any sorts of hijinks to meet with God. We can just simply pull ourselves away either physically or mentally from the place that we uh, are dwelling and attach ourselves to the security of His comfort and loving presence. The very fact that Jesus models prayer by telling those listening in verse 9 to pray like this should serve as a clear invitation to us that God is always available and, I should note, accessible. There is the most subtle of differences between availability and accessibility. Last Thursday, as Eliza spoke of earlier, I had to cancel our book club session 
because a power outage in our community had cut off my accessibility to the internet. The internet was available. I had a computer, I had a modem, I had a router, I had a, a line to the outside all available to me. Somewhere though, and I have yet to figure out where, my accessibility was impaired by a cut in the line. Beloved, we have already established that God is always available, but we should understand that God is also always accessible. Jesus would not have taught us to pray. He would have never taught us to pray if he did not want us to be able to always access God. Now, you may have thought, I do not have a problem with Jesus being available and accessible. I know that, Mark. I'm just not sure about his responsiveness. You said that is the third part of attachment relationships and the security that they bring. We know that those relationships are available, accessible, and responsive. I'm not sure God, though, is always responsive, you might think, because I would not be experiencing this loss right now if he had responded to the needs I prayerfully presented to him. Notice, beloved, what Jesus says in verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, God knows what you need before you ask. Before you ever formulate the words to articulate the request, before they even pass through your brain, God already knows the need. In other words, Jesus says, because God knows what you need before you ask, He knows the need better than you do and knows how best to fulfill the need. Indeed, Jesus will say later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, which one of you is, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Beloved, you and I can rest in the knowledge that God understands our needs and His responses to those needs are best, even if we may disagree with Him on how He responds. Because He is the good Father who bestows good gifts to his children. I do not think it coincidence that Jesus defines God throughout the Sermon on the Mount here as Father, most prominently opening the model prayer in verse 9 by teaching them to say, Our Father in heaven, because it reminds his listeners of what for most is one of their very first attachment figures, their Father on earth. Sadly, earthly fathers will on occasion fail us, as Jesus will soon allude to in the previously referenced passage in Matthew 7. 
And if we hold that Jesus' father Joseph has already died at this point in Jesus' life, Jesus likewise understands there will come a day when our first attachment relationships will enter into eternity. Yet Jesus is focusing on the accessibility, availability, and responsiveness of God by modeling this prayer as he also nudges us to grasp the immortality of God. God the Father exists in heaven, the prayer tells us, a plane beyond the finite world that you and I inhabit. And God the Father reigns in a kingdom that we are to pray to come to earth, a kingdom Jesus will describe as a place unreachable in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, as he speaks to the elements that beset us here and cause us to lose cherished things. Beloved, in an existence that is continually grieving over losses, how secure is your attachment to the one that can never be lost? Please, in the midst of all your losses and accompanying griefs, do not lose sight of the fundamental truth we began with so many weeks ago. You are the beloved child of God, and His attitude of love towards you remains forever unchanged. Now, I would be remiss if I did not highlight two additional points about our losses and griefs that Jesus teaches us to pray that temptation keeps at bay in our lives in verse number 13. What is the link between temptation and grief, you may be wondering. There are many, but I want to speak to one in particular, and that is indiscriminate and unrelenting anger. Anger is an essential part of the grief process. In fact, I would wonder if we were ever really attached to someone or something if we were not angry that the attachment had been severed. The issue becomes then, how are we regulating our anger? Are we aware of when our reactions and responses to a situation are motivated by displaced anger? One of the things I have learned over time is that when I am grieving a loss, I often cannot express the anger I'm experiencing over the loss to the person or thing attached to the loss, and so accordingly am indiscriminate in my anger. So, Eliza, not the one who is lost, may wind up being the one yelled at. Or the person who cuts me off in traffic may be the one yelled at as they have to translate the Morse code I send them from my car horn. The night before my father died, we attended the Notre Dame-Carolina football game, and I expressed my anger at my impending loss to the point of losing my voice as I played the role of sideline referee. Regardless, though, in each of these instances and so many others, I fall into the temptation of indiscriminate anger. By failing to adequately process it 
and instead lashing out at others because of that. Beloved, how often do you fall into this temptation yourself? Who are you using as a scapegoat for the anger you are experiencing over a loss in your life this morning? Furthermore, have you allowed your anger to abide and abound in your life? The passionate anger we experience is appropriate, as I have already stated. The problem, though, is when we fail to relinquish that anger and allow it to cool to the point of bitterness. Compounding losses will compound grief and accordingly our anger. And if we fail to be proactive in our processing, we will quickly fall prey to the temptation of bitterness. Bitterness allows us to point to everyone except ourselves as the cause of why we are experiencing the things we are experiencing. We thereby become a perpetual victim, enabling us to be perpetually angry, but not with a hot anger. Rather, it is a cooled anger that is far more pernicious as it numbs us to the pains and sorrows of those around us. It freezes our perceptions so that they are not toward our fellow inhabitants of this globe, but only toward us and our needs, our wants, and our hurts. This temptation is great. I know because all of us want to satiate this hurt that cracks the foundations of our soul. But beloved, the temptation of perpetual anger that has cooled to bitterness is not the answer. The only thing that will satiate our deepest hurts and fill the broken spaces of our souls is grace. Hence why Jesus points us to forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, we are taught to pray. Furthermore, Jesus tells us in verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness, beloved, opens up the great reservoirs of grace and unleashes them like a flood into our souls. Again, you may be wondering, what does forgiveness have to do with grief? For a moment, I ask that you think back to a matter over which you are grieving or have been grieving recently. In the midst of your grief, have you ever thought, if only I had done this, or if only I had not done that, things would be different do you ever feel guilty for doing or not doing something? Do you ever feel guilty for grieving something or someone? Do you ever feel guilty for being angry? Do you ever feel guilty for not really responding the way that everyone thinks you should respond to your loss? If so, beloved, you now understand the link between forgiveness and grief. For the person you need to forgive is not someone else. It is you. We are our own worst judges, it has been said. And the reality is that the judgments we pronounce on ourselves 
the silence of our grief causes us to believe that we are ineligible for the pardon of grace. Hear me this morning, beloved. Nothing can be farther from the truth. God has infinite and matchless grace available and accessible to you today. Maybe the forgiveness you need, though, is slightly different. Maybe the grief you are experiencing is due actually to your own actions, not something uninvited that creeps into your thoughts during grief's unbearable silence, but something that you actually did do that has caused a loss and separation. Beloved, there is forgiveness for you too. All you must do is reach out and ask for it today. You may not be able to ask it of the one whom you wronged, but beloved, you can receive it from God. God desires you to leave behind the night's endless weeping and experience the joy that arrives with the grace of a new day. There is nothing that we have done that fails to be covered by Jesus' cry of, Father, forgive them from the cross if we would but seek God's grace on the matter. Maybe though, maybe the stream of grace that flows towards you is dammed up because there is a forgiveness you need to extend to someone who has caused a loss in your life. It may be someone who inflicted unspeakable cruelty towards you and left you shattered in a multitude of losses. It may be someone who does not even know they have hurt you, but you still feel the piercing pain of the loss they wrought. One of the surest ways I know to overcome the anger you continue to experience is to grant forgiveness. I think this is best illustrated by the events that happened in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania on the morning of October the 2nd, 2006. It was around 10.30 that morning that Charles Roberts IV entered the one-room Amish schoolhouse known as West Nickel Mines School and took the room hostage. In the next hour, he unleashed untold grief on those assembled students. He would shoot 10 girls that morning between the ages of 6 and 13. He would kill five of them before he would kill himself. I am honest with you this morning. I often have to place myself with each new school shooting as what might I do if the day ever comes where that arrives at my door. I tell Eliza all the time, her role is not to be someone else's hero, it's to be mine. But I know that the possibility exists that one day the breaking news will shatter my life. 
And I am not at all positive this morning, beloved. In fact, I'm pretty sure this I could not do what the Amish in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania did. The Amish responded with forgiveness. They did not wait for days on end to go by, but they went that day, that day to Charles Roberts' home. As Charles Roberts' father burst and sobbed, one Amish gentleman held that grieving father, for he too had experienced grief that day for over an hour. If the worst were to ever happen in our home, I'm not positive I could hold the father of the one who brought such loss to me for one second let alone one hour. And yet, the Amish did. The Amish community attended the funeral of Charles Roberts. The Amish community invited his widow to attend the funerals of their precious children. By by 2007, remember this occurred in late 2006, $4.3 million had been devoted to cover the expenses that the Amish community had faced with hospitals and things such as that. Do you know what they did with it? They took a portion of it and to this day share it with Charles Roberts' widow. In other words, they take care of the woman whose husband killed their children. They forgive. They let grace flow unbounded and undamned across their lives. Please clearly understand me. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to continue an abusive relationship or place your mental, physical, or emotional health in jeopardy. Granting forgiveness simply enables each of us to continue our journey of properly processing our grief and embracing the opportunities of the new reality through the marvelous grace that God abundantly provides. Beloved, one of the things that I have become acutely aware of over the last few months is that there is a silence that accompanies grief that can prove unbearable. I often feel like the painting on the cover of the bulletin and an an unalterable scream ever being admitted from the depths of my soul that no one can hear. Even in a room full of people, there is a silence. A silence you may also acknowledge 
as it is a silence that never leaves because the person or thing that used to fill the silence is now lost. It is a silence that can gnaw at you because of any number of things will try to fill it. Guilt, anger, pain, fear, anxiety. The list is endless. Yet Jesus tells us how to fill, how, excuse me, rather, to silence the silence this morning. He gives us the words by which we acknowledge the one that we can firmly attach ourselves to, knowing that God will never, ever leave us or forsake us. Likewise, Jesus shows us how to silence the silence by unleashing the torrent of roaring and raging rivers of grace into our souls. Beloved, will you silence the silence in your heart today? I promise you, there is enough grace to achieve this. No matter how great the silence that loss has produced in your life, there is grace. There's enough grace for everyone here. There's enough grace for everyone watching at home. There's enough grace for everyone who will watch this week. There's enough grace for everyone who will listen to the podcast. There is enough grace, beloved, to fill this world a bazillion times over and float into the deepest recesses of outer space. There is available grace today. You do not have to be the man on the bulletin cover. You can be whole through the grace of God today. Will you receive it? And will you give it? Let's pray. Lord, I get to this point and I'm always trying to figure out what to say. And so I'm not going to be like the person in the text. I'm just going to call each of us to pray and ask that all assembled join me in the prayer that you taught us when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, 
please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.